All right, well, we're going to go ahead and continue in our study series. We're in a series on theology, our second slide with our specific lesson for the day, if indeed I can get it to, there we go, a little slow there. Our lesson today in Unit 1, the Doctrine of God, is where we're at, and so uh, Unit 1, um, focusing on God, but today on prayer, our seventh lesson uh, in our series. And so as we take a look at this, we'll start off with, why does God want us to pray? So I'm, I'm sure we've thought about this at times. There's aspects of prayer that, depending on how you think about it, might not make sense to us. Like, why would God need us to pray to him to ask us to do something? If he already wants to do it, he has all the power to do it. He doesn't need us. Uh, so why, why would he want us to pray? I think he'd just get it done. Um, and it's a little tricky when we think um, as we get into aspects of prayer this morning and we think about um, God's sovereignty um, and mixing that up with his foreknowledge how how our prayers can actually influence him which you think if everything is already known to him he knows exactly what he's going to do it's hard to sometimes reconcile in our minds uh, our prayers and their interaction with him um, I would say uh, that uh, trusting God in these things is going to be important for us as uh, we encounter some things that we're at, you know, in certain glances we think, hmm, I'm not sure that makes complete sense to me how it works, but there's a, a trust there. But I think in our lesson today, we won't uh, generally walk away with the, that kind of feel like, huh, I don't know if I really understand that. I guess I'll just have to accept my faith. I think we'll actually see in today's lesson uh, that there's a lot of clarity on how we should view prayer, even if we don't always quite know how to reconcile everything. We're going to have a lot of clarity. And um, I guess I'll throw out, uh, if I um, mimic the wording that I often see on the slides for the worship service, what's the big idea? <laughs> um, I think it's a, um, really our own relationship with God is, is one of the big ideas. Uh, so... Depending on our relationship with God, that's going to impact our prayer life. So we're going to start off with this question this morning, why does God want us to pray? And so our first uh, thought here, the first point on the slide, is that it expresses our trust in God. Okay, so again, this is, I'm going to come back to that big idea. It's really our relationship with God himself that is going to impact our prayer life. But this is a huge one in our relationship with God. Um, it expresses our trust in in God, and so um, our author uh, Wayne Grudem of the book that I'm using says this: Prayer is not made so that God can find out what we need. Hey, but we know that from other attributes we've already studied. He's omniscient; he already knows everything. Uh, Matthew six tells us that for your Father knows what you have need before you ask Him. Uh, so. I don't know those that are seasoned Christians. Um, I don't think any of us thought that that's probably why we prayed. But a person might possibly have that thought out there. But God the Father knows what we need before we even ask him. Um, So when we ask things of God, he's like, oh, oh, okay, good to know. Hmm, hadn't thought about that need that you have. All right, good. Now I got out on my radar. Let me put that on my to-do list and think about what I want to do about it. (laughs) So he's not going to be thinking that way. Uh, 
But prayer, though, when, uh, our first major point here is trust. A uh, subpoint under there, the second one, the Bible emphasizes that we are to pray with faith. Oh, and I guess I skipped the first one. I was thinking of that as he doesn't need to know what uh, we need. But the first one there, prayer is a means by which our trust can increase. So this is going to be that probably one of these major reasons, trusting God, dependence upon God. And uh, um, again, I go back to that big idea. If our relationship with God has problems, uh, then our prayer life is going to have problems. And one of the areas that could have problem is do we trust God? But here's the sub-point here. Prayer is a means by which our trust can increase. So as, as we interact with God and we pray to God, we can learn to trust him more. Uh, one of the major ways I think this happens is when we see that God answers prayer, then our trust in him builds higher. We see that, oh, okay, he, he did answer prayer. Um, I sometimes think about that, Philippian jailer, I think it was, that said this, um, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I don't know if that was a Philippian jailer. I feel like I might have got that wrong. But the quote was right. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Um, so sometimes I feel like, like, I trust you, God. And it's like, oh no, what if he doesn't answer that one? And so um, it's not, you know, it's not a great way to remain I think the Lord has patience with us. Um, he tells us he has patience with us, so sometimes when we are that way, um, he has patience, but we shouldn't stay that way. And James says that double-minded man is unstable. Um, we should have faith, nothing wavering. And so prayer is a way that we can increase that trust as we interact with God, we find him faithful. Um, but the Bible, uh, second subpoint, men- emphasizes that we are to pray with faith. So this is a major emphasis of prayer in the Bible, uh, verse after verse, is the idea that our prayers are to be prayers of faith, that we're trusting God. And so um, we have, by the way, there's just many, many verses in the Bible on prayer. Um, I both ran out of time in my study to include probably every verse I would have liked to, but I think I also run out of time in Sunday school class. I just, you know, trying to cover this in, in one class, there's there's just many. Uh, so at this point, I guess you're kind of taking my word for it, which, of course, I'm also getting this from uh, Grudem, um, is that um, this is a emphasis of the Bible. Prayer is uh, to be coupled with faith. Uh, Grudem uh, mentions it this way, an attitude of dependence is most appropriate to the creator-creature relationship. Praying in humble dependence also indicates that we are genuinely convinced of God's wisdom, love, goodness, and power, indeed of all the attributes that make up his excellent character. When we truly pray, we are we as persons in the wholeness of our character, so we think about what, what characterizes humans. Okay? Um, and I don't think it's talking here just, you know, I mean, we might maybe someone had pop in their mind, like our sin nature, I think it's not speaking specifically of that, just, you know, like, for example, we have finite knowledge and we have finite abilities and, and we have natural strengths and weaknesses and so forth. So when we pray, we as persons 
in the wholeness of our character, who we are, are relating to God as a person in the wholeness of his character. We think about who he is. And we already read some of those words, a wise God, loving, good, and powerful. Um, Thus, all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. And that's an interesting thought. Thus, all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayers. Now, that's like an uh uh-oh moment. Um, This could be a private, uh, private, you don't have to make this public, Um, but that's one of those moments that could be embarrassing. Thankfully, we don't all have to always bear our weaknesses out in front of everyone, but it says there, thus all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. Thus, when we say, "Mm, I'm not sure if I can really trust God on that one, that's why I'm kind of doubting, hmm. Or, hmm, I've had prayers in the past that didn't come true. They didn't happen, even though I prayed for them, and I thought I prayed for them earnestly, and God didn't answer. I wonder if God's trustworthy. I wonder if he's going to keep his word. I wonder if he's going to do what he said. I wonder if this is going to work. I wonder if prayer really happens. Am I just talking to the walls? Am I just, do my prayers go higher than the ceiling? You know, we can have those thoughts So, in, in our prayer life, I'll read the quote from Grudem again. Thus, all that we think, that's like who we are, all that we think or feel about God comes to expression in our prayer. So um, it's almost uh, as I you know, was thinking about quotes like that, just thinking about the topic in preparation for the lesson, uh, it was just kind of forefront of my mind. Wow, this is like, this is really one of those areas that just exposes what our relationship with God is like. Now, this is not meant to uh, sound at any point um, uh, that we're uh, scolding ourselves. I'd have to include you with me. I can't say me scolding you. Um, uh, But we, looking at the thoughts from Scripture, is it meant to be a lesson this morning of scolding ourselves if our prayer life uh, isn't the way it should be? I would uh, say not. I mean, even when I was studying it, I wasn't thinking that um, to myself or in preparation for the lesson. But I am thinking and looking at it and saying, oh, this could be like going and getting a physical at a doctor's office. And we go there because they can do some things that we can't do and maybe detect a problem we don't know about, such as uh, you know, doing the urine analysis. It's like, oh, do you got something in the urine? You know, I think one of the major things they test for in that is protein in the urine because that can indicate a kidney problem because your body's not supposed to be filtering out proteins. Um, so there shouldn't be any there. And they're, so they're looking for things that maybe shouldn't be there because then you could tell, okay, is there a problem with the kidneys? Well, we indirectly, well, then let's look at the urine, see if there's a Let's check your blood pressure. Let's listen to your heart. Um, maybe um, if, you know, some physicals might include a blood test. Um, let's try to look for things that aren't the problem themselves, but they would come from the problem, whatever that problem is. Uh, you know, one of the common ones we think about, especially when kids, I, th- I think they do it more with kids. I haven't had a doctor do this to me for a while. It's when you kind of sit on a table and then they tap your knee and you're boing. And you're, it's kind of fun. feels weird. Um, but that can indicate a problem with the nervous system um, because the nerve, the, the signal should go from that spot where it got tapped, hit it. It actually, by, it doesn't involve the brain on that. That's why it's automatic, why you can't stop it. 
it actually goes inside uh, to the nerve and comes right back again and causes that to happen. So, um, so anyways, you can't control it. Thus, the doctor has power over you. To, I can make your knee move, your leg move without your permission. Um, but um, <clears throat> the point is that these things can indicate that they themselves are not the problem but they can indicate there is one. I think prayer can be that way for us. We can say, okay, is my prayer life, how is that going overall? I think all of us, always throughout our whole life, will never get to the point where that's um, perfect. We get stronger and stronger in it because we're going to struggle, like Paul said, with his own sin nature. We're going to struggle and sometimes do things we shouldn't do and not do things we should. So I think uh, none of us are going to ever say, wow, okay, it's ideal. Okay, But we don't want to use that as an excuse, so we can self-examine and ask ourselves, okay, how's my prayer life? It's like saying, how's my blood pressure? How's that tap on the knee? How's the urine sample? Because I'm trying to find out, is there something else that's a problem? Okay. And so... I think our prayer life can be that way um, as a kind of a little signal. How's our relationship with God? Now we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, with the Ephesian church, that they had left their first love. That was a major problem with the church. They were very active for God, doing all kinds of things. God commended them. But he said, there is one problem. You left your first love. Their relationship with God was cold. The Bible says that God's to be um, our number one love, and it's the greatest commandment in the scriptures. Um, but if our relationship with God's a problem, one way we can know that is when our prayers are a problem. And so that's the big, I think, a big idea this morning. Again, borrowing uh, the language of uh, the morning services. And so as we go through these, Maybe we can be encouraged. You know, for each of us individually, I don't think any of our prayer lives would mirror each other. So each of us individually could just kind of see the Holy Spirit. Is there anything on any of these aspects of prayer that would kind of jump out and say, you know, okay, there's something maybe to work on in uh, my relationship with God because I think that's what it's going to come down to. How's our relationship with God? Okay, so... This first major point here, how, uh, why does God want us to pray? Uh, he wants us to trust him. And through prayer, we can learn to trust him more. Uh, the Bible emphasizes that we are to pray with faith. That faith is a believing dependence, especially in the Bible. It's that trust, that dependence in God. And it's used in some other ways, like the body of faith, for example, um, sometimes used that way, but when we're talking about faith in God, we're talking about a dependence upon him. There's a belief mixed with dependence, mixed with trust, is the idea of faith. And the Bible emphasizes when we pray, this is something that we need. Uh, It's really our relationship with God. Is he trustworthy? Can I depend upon him or not? Um, So our third sub-point, God as our creator delights in being trusted. So this is, uh, it's honoring to God. Now, I get this sometimes as a teacher. I try to point it out to students, and very gently, and I'm not actually not personally insulted when it happens, but I, 
because um, I, I just think it's human nature. So my tendency is to just be very understanding and forgiving with it. Um, but if I wanted to take it very li- literally and take it for what it means, I have students who don't trust me on little things, okay? um, such, such as um, I, I might say something to them, okay, when I, when I get done grading this assignment, you guys can be dismissed for a break. And then I get done grading the assignment, and they're like, are we dismissed? Well, did you hear my instructions? Now, they, and usually it's a yes. So now, then comes the question, if we want to think about it very deeply here. Okay, if you heard what I said, why are you asking me? Okay, so do you think I didn't mean what I said? Or maybe you misunderstood. Maybe you're not sure you heard me right. Okay, so there might be some legitimate reasons to ask me, but if you heard me clearly that I said when we're done grading, you could be dismissed. Do I, I mean, have I not kept my word so often that you're not sure you can trust me that when I said you could be dismissed, you could? I mean, I hope that's not what I'm doing with them. And I mean, I, I get why they do that, because I'm human. I mean, I might do that kind of thing, too. They just, just double-checking, just making sure. But I'll point out to them, well, I try to say what I mean. And so if I've told you you could be dismissed, you can be dismissed. And no, you're not going to get in trouble for getting up and leaving the classroom because I said you could. And I, and I don't, sometimes they like to double check. And I think some students are in this habit um, in life. They, they, they ask a second time just to make sure that they really meant it. So it's like, just make it sure. But I, I try, and, and, I'm, and I know I don't do it perfectly, but I try with the students uh, to make it so that when I've said something, they can trust it. Now, I've had times, uh, this is a common problem for me, um, and, I, and I try never to hold the students accountable for it. And that is a student um, will come up to me and talk to me, and I don't realize they have. So they'll come up and ask me a question. My mind's on something else. Often I'm doing something else or I'm talking to someone else. And they'll come up and say something like this. Can I use the restroom? And, I'm like, and I'll answer them, yes. But I actually never really consciously heard them ask. I, uh, back of my mind, I heard them ask and I let them go. Five minutes later, where's so-and-so? Said, where? Yeah. Now this has happened often enough that I'm, I immediately am aware of the possibility that I gave them permission. So I, I don't assume that they left without permission, but I'll say, you know, where's so-and-so? And they'll be like, well, they asked you if they could go to the restroom, and you said yes. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no argument for me, because I, I have no way of proving it, and I know I do that. Uh, so, okay, uh, good enough for me. I, if I told them they could go to the restroom, and I don't remember that, that's on me. That's not on them. Uh, they did ask. Um, now, I do try to train them, could you get my attention first? Like maybe, don't just come up and start talking to me when I'm sitting there reading or working on something. Just come up, could you, yeah, Mr. Mash, I got a question, and then wait. <laughs> wait till my brain, I, you know, us men probably know how this is. We're one-track mind. My brain has got to switch from that topic to the other. If they don't wait for me to do that, I don't necessarily know I'm talking to them. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's a guy thing. <laughs> so, anyways, but the point is, I mean, I want with my students that they can trust when I've said something. Um, I don't get mad at them. Well, you should have waited until I, you got my attention, because that's super hard, because you can't always tell. I mean, they think they do have my attention. 
they asked me and I answered them. I mean, they're not mind readers. So I look at the, this is on me. I kind of, I encourage them, could you, know, could you try certain things? Help me out here. I do have a rule. Don't ever come up and hand me anything. Because they'll come up and hand me homework. Like I'm standing up here doing things and they'll hand me something. Thank you. you know, <laughs> my daughter used to do that to my oldest son, Rick. <laughs> she had fun with it. We would be at the table eating dinner and she would start passing him things. He's so busy talking. She'd hand him the salt shaker, he'd take it. <laughs> She'd hand him a napkin, he'd take it. <laughs> he would be taking three, four, five things in a row. And then all of a sudden he'd realize what you do it. And his classic response is, ah! <laughs> That's what he would do. <laughs> so it happens. But see, we have a God that doesn't do those things. They don't have my weak God doesn't have my weaknesses. And so God is not going to uh, be a God uh, who doesn't realize what he said to us. Uh, when he means it, when he says it, he means it. And because of his character, uh, we don't have to worry about it. But God delights that we trust him that way because we sometimes do go to God. Wait a minute. I know what you said in the Bible. But did you really mean it? You said you would do this. But, yeah, I'm okay. Excuse me, God, but can we just double check and ask again, are you really going to do that? God delights when you trust in, in him. So our second point, though, again, is, is there's three points here. Why does God want us to pray? One, it's about trust. Two, he wants us to love and fellowship with him. And, uh, sure. Okay, so yeah, give me give me a second to see if I can. I think I have. No, it's not so much that I address it later. I think I have uh, some verses copied, and I'm seeing if I have it here. Okay, so this is, I couldn't remember, I, I found the verse that I was thinking of. I couldn't remember if this particular account quite um, gives an example. It kind of comes close. It's, a, it's from Exodus 32, and it's regarding Moses. Uh, the question is, well, if we pray to God and we remind him about something that he said, you know, like what's some thoughts on that? I'm saying that for the online folks so they can hear what that question was. Um, in Exodus 32, the Lord, uh, Moses is praying to the Lord, um, besought the Lord, his God, and he says, okay, why, Lord, why are you so angry um, against the people which you brought out of Egypt? Okay, because um, he's going to wipe them out. And in verse 12, it says, wherefore should the Egyptians speak? Okay, so be careful, Lord. You're going to give an opportunity to the Egyptians to say, uh, for mischief, God brought them out. 
So he took his people out of Israel. Then look what he did. He killed them over there in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. So then Moses says, okay, here's my request. Turn from your fierce wrath and repent, which just means to turn from. Return from this evil, which doesn't mean like a moral evil, but this negative thing that you plan on doing to them. Okay, now there's other passages in the scripture where people point out something that God has said or promised in a prayer um, that um, they remind God of. Okay, so in these things, no, I think the the models or the the, the examples are given. I don't know of any clear statement, but the examples that are given, um, there are examples given where the people of God tell God something that, of course, omniscient God already knows. Okay. Okay, there you go. Okay, so I don't have that copy to my notes. So then right after those verses, yeah, a reminder of his promises. So um, the Lord tells us in one passage, test me. Go ahead, put me to test. God doesn't take an insult in that. Go ahead, find out if I'm trustworthy. Find out if I, if I will answer you. Uh, put me to the test. Now there's an aspect of that where you say, well, you don't have to put something to the test if you have 100% confidence in it. But he remembers that we're weak and we sometimes need to see him keep his promises. That's that first point. Uh, sub-point anyways, that our trust can increase through prayer. And so, no, the Lord um, is very patient with that, I think, from examples in the Bible where um, um, men and women of God remind God of his promises and, in a sense, hold him to it. In fact, there's a certain honoring in that. God, I'm holding you to that. Now, you wouldn't hold someone to a promise who was a liar. God, you're not a liar. And you said this, I'm, I'm holding you to that. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, Moses wasn't insulting God's intelligence, like, oh, God's so forgetful, you know, the man upstairs, really old, memory's going a little bit. I better, I better clue him in. What are the Egyptians going to say about you, God, if you actually do this? Okay. Uh, but I think this comes back to our um, point that we were starting here. Uh, he wants us to love him in fellowship uh, with him, uh, that he wants us to interact with him in prayer. Um, that he, he, There's an aspect of God where he desires to accomplish what he wants to accomplish by the prayers of his people. He wants that interaction to happen. Um, now, I, I can't say exactly what he was thinking in regards to that passage we read on Moses. Okay? But God knew what he was going to do, which he wasn't going to wipe out the people. He'd already made promises not to do that. They deserve to be wiped out. And I think he expressed true thoughts about who they were and what they deserved. And he voiced an option that was really, I mean, it was a legitimate option. Pay for your sins right now on the spot. I'll punish you right now. It was a legitimate option. They didn't deserve the promised land and deserve continued mercy. That's why we call it mercy. Even though he knew he wasn't going to do that, it was through... This is the, one of those where it's hard to reconcile all aspects of prayer. In his providence, in his foreknowledge, in his um, ability to see the future, uh, 
um, his omniscience, he knew what he was going to do and exactly how he was going to do it. And yet he chose through the prayer of Moses to go that route. Um, and uh, it brings up uh, one of our points that we'll get to later, is um, not too long, but that our prayers can actually influence God. And in a sense, at least from our perspective, change the course of things. Like what if Moses had not prayed? What would have happened to the people? That's where you're trying to think, well, okay, does that mean that God, his ability to do what he wanted was dependent upon Moses, that he didn't have full power to, or full, full knowledge to decide how that should play out. No, it's God wants to work through prayers. It's what he chooses to do. And I think in part that's this. He wants, to, we want, he wants us to love him and fellowship with him. So we don't just live our own lives off to the side by ourselves because eh, God doesn't really, he's going to do what he wants to do. He doesn't care about us. No, that, that would be wrong thinking on our parts. Uh, let's go to our third point here. Um, allows involvement in eternally important activities. Yeah, sometimes uh, when I saw this, and that's uh, the wording of Grudem uh, there, um, when I um, thought about that, I thought I, I had come to mind a verse that I've often had come to mind as a Christian school teacher, as a um, as someone whose career is in Christian ministry, um, as someone who sometimes I feel very blessed by the Lord. So this isn't going to be any kind of complaining that I have here, but it's just the logical thoughts that could come to mind. I have the natural human intelligence and ability to do what my dad did. I, I could have followed that career into the fire department. Um, I could have gotten, I think, to the levels he got to, you know, retiring as battalion chief in the San Jose Fire Department. I could be making the money he's making, um, even in retirement, um, or something close to it. Um, but I've had the opportunity in my, in what God's called me to, to be involved in that. So there's a lot of value to that. Um, the Levites, and this was a passage that I said, uh, I hinted at that came to my mind. It's in Numbers chapter 18. The Lord spake unto Aaron, and I'm going to do a little paraphrasing, modernize it, the English just a little bit. You're not going to have inheritance in the land, says to Aaron. Now, it doesn't say you're not going to have any inheritance. You're not going to have any inheritance in the land, meaning you're not going to have land inheritance. Not given, you're not giving you or the other Levites any land possession anywhere. It says, neither shall you have any part among them. I am your part and your inheritance among the children of Israel. Now, he goes on down below. He doesn't say, okay, therefore... Uh, you shall be happy in your destitution, in your poverty and homelessness, uh, because I'm the only thing you needed. God doesn't do that to them. In fact, a few verses down, um, let's see, actually, uh, take it back, uh, same verse. Um, oh, no, it's not the same verse. That's my notes after the verse. Let me see. I'm scanning here verse 21. And behold, verse 21, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. So the rest of Israel were to tithe a tenth of their income 
and then they were to give that to the tribe of Levi uh, for their service in the temple, in the tabernacle, for their service in full-time uh, Christian ministry. And so, um, so then it was going to be a statute, verse 23, or kind of like a rule or a, a standard that was there that the children of Levi were not going to have a land inheritance uh, but that in verse 24 they would have the tithes which they offer as an heave offering <laughs> think about that word try to look it up uh, heave offering um, sometimes I think of a rowing in a ship maybe like a pirate ship or something heave ho heave ho <laughs> like a heave offering or maybe like I'm going to vomit, heave my dinner, or heave a rock. I'm like, I, I, I think of myself, what's a heave offering? Like, I know of some different offerings that were in the Old Testament, a uh, heave offering. Well, I think it is that, like, maybe heaving a rock. Or, it's some, um, the, the concept behind it is something that you're offering to the Lord. Like, so you're presenting it, you're heaving it, you're, you're giving it uh, to him. Actually, the tithe here is the heave offering, but it's being presented to the Lord, um, present, and in, indirectly is presented to the Levites, and they would uh, be able to live off of that because uh, they're busy in full-time Christian service. They, they don't have land to go out and farm and produce products that way. Um, but the point here is that they uh, had an inheritance that was of this eternal value. And so... When we pray, we get to join with God in things that matter for eternity, and that's a, uh, an opportunity we have. God could just accomplish what he wanted on his own without us, but he chooses us as his children, as humans, to do things that sometimes even angels don't get to do, or the rest of his creation, but we get to do them and be involved in that. And so... Now, there was a, a, uh, one thought I had previously that I, I forgot to bring out. Uh, it's kind of going back to the, the trust idea. Uh, you, it's just, uh, I'll say it as a quick thought. He's often referred to in the scriptures as our Heavenly Father. And there's a connection there between he's our Heavenly Father and an earthly father. Uh, just like an earthly father, a child would depend upon that father uh, to meet their needs and provide certain things. Uh, there's a carryover to God as our Father, as someone that we could look to. You get the model prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. And so we're looking to that heavenly Father uh, for uh, some sort of provision. Or like in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus uh, compares our prayer to that of a child who's asking his father for uh, a fish or for an egg to eat. And a good father is going to want to give good things to his children and says, how much more my heavenly father, who is totally good and doesn't have any evil in him at all, how much more can we look to him in prayer uh, to provide things that we need? Uh, but that goes back to that trust idea. Okay, any, any thoughts or comments um, before I continue on? Okay, aspects of effective prayer. Okay, so prayer changes the way God acts. Now, I got ahead of myself in, in touching on some of these verses, so we'll cover this a little more quickly since I've already shared a lot of thoughts there. Um, but um, failure to pray, then, what this implies, 
Um, by the way, uh, James chapter 4, verse 2 is one. You, you have not because you ask not. Failure to ask deprives us of what God would have otherwise given us. And so, you have not. Why? You didn't pray. Wait, you mean if I prayed, God would have given? Well, that's the implication of James. Like our prayer actually did affect what God decides to do. Well, if God already knows what he's going to do and he's sovereign, then why do I need to pray? Well, he also sovereignly knows whether you're going to pray or not. And so it's really hard to always keep this straight in our mind, the sovereignty of God and how he works and interacts with us. Uh, But I don't think we need to figure it out. By faith, God says pray, and if you don't, then sometimes that means you're not going to get something that I would have given you otherwise. We've got to trust God, um, and we've got to take the time to do it. I mean, does prayer actually work? By the way, uh, sometimes we say it that way, but really it's, it's about God. It's not really does prayer work. Like uh, Somewhere in here I'll get to a quote here that talks about you know, prayer not being a magical formula. No, no, prayer is not a little technique we use that works. God is faithful. So when we trust him and go to him in prayer, he'll do everything that he wants to do in accordance with his will and his character in relation to that prayer. Okay. Of course, uh, God is not to be insulted in the process. He's not a genie in the bottle that we pull out when we want to by rubbing the lamp and then making him do what he, we want him to do because he has no options. Um, so again, it's our relationship with God, I think, is this underpinning uh, thing. If we go to God in prayer and we're disrespectful towards him, uh, that probably not going to work. Uh, we'll come back to some of those thoughts later. So um, Luke 11, verses 9 and 10 have a similar thought to James. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds. Him that knocketh it shall be opened. Uh, all right. Well, there'll be future thoughts that I'll tie back to that. I may forget to tie it specifically back to that, but you'll see that it ties back to that, such as ask and you will receive. 100% of the time? We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, I had other examples under this section, but I shared the one with Moses in the book of Exodus, um, how uh, he asked and it influenced what God decided to do. But again, God's sovereign, so he already knew that's how it was going to play out. But he, he delights in interacting with us and answering through the prayer. And so that's exactly what he did. Or Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal, heal their land. So he says, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land, but it's dependent on the prayer. And in that verse, more than that, humility, then praying, seeking God out, and turning from wickedness. And then God says, I'll do it. Okay. Uh, or First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, then he forgives our sins. And so again, our prayers have impact on God. Uh, the, the point we have on our slide here is prayer changes the way God acts. And it can be a little confusing to us why he wants to do it that way, but I think it goes back to those points on the original slide. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to fellowship with him and love him and interact with him um, on that. And I was going to say, read the third one, which I, oh yeah, 
and it gives us the opportunity to be involved in eternal activities. I don't know why it does this. I think it, actually I do know. The design of the slide, I think, has something at the bottom that's like a black bar, so it likes to black out often my bottom point. <laughs> so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look and see if I get enough letters there showing up that I can find a way to, to look at it. Okay, well, um, what's our next thought on this particular uh, slide here? Um, aspects of effective prayer made possible by our mediator, Christ Jesus. So he's a mediator like the Old Testament uh, high priests or the priests were mediators. They would go between us and God. And so we can um, go to God in prayer and it's effective because we have Jesus, our mediator, going between us. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. That's First Timothy 2.5 mentions that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Okay, so going to our next slide. Um, some just questions related to the uh, thoughts about prayer. Okay. What is praying in Jesus' name? And so we hear, we're, I think most of us, or all of us in the room, I think are familiar with that. The Bible talks about what's you ask in my name. Um, so that's a very common practice amongst Christians to pray in the name of Jesus. Um, so, uh, for example, John fourteen thirteen, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so Grudem mentions this. Jesus is not really speaking um, about, and it looks like I got a typo in here. So I'm going to paraphrase from memory. Um, he's not really speaking about us having a magical formula that would give power to our prayers. To come in the, uh, rather, to come in the name of someone authorized um, on, on their authority, not on our own. So this is a voice recognition software and it just butchered some of the words and I didn't, apparently. I tried to go catch those and, and this one I didn't catch. So it, it did some weird things that made the sentence gibberish. But I had enough words right for me to get the thought here. Okay. The thought here, Jesus is saying, okay, ask in my name. Oh, good, a little magic formula. In the name of Jesus, I pray this, and oh, good, now God's obligated. It's not a magic formula. It, he says that the thought is that we're going in the authority. I come, on be, I come in the authority of Jesus Christ uh, to pray this. Um, so it says in a broader sense, the name of a person in the ancient world represented the person himself and therefore all of his character to have a good name was to have a good reputation. Thus the name of Jesus represents all that he is, his entire character. This means that praying in Jesus' name is not only praying in his authority, but also praying in a way that is consistent with his character. So it may almost be like a spokesperson, like if you were an ambassador for the United States, you go represent our country, you represent the president. And when you say something on his behalf, you're saying it under the authority that the the president has given you as an ambassador to speak on his behalf. And so that's uh, the concept. And I think it might actually include saying in Jesus' name, but it's really it's in his authority and under his power. First uh, John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, okay, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You know, that verse doesn't say anything about praying in his name, but it's that confidence. I'm going on behalf of Christ to pray this. And, and so you had times when uh, they uh, prayed f uh, 
for example, Stephen, actually, no, let me save that. Okay. So they had times where they prayed in, in the name of Jesus with his authority. At one time they asked, by what authority do you cast out devils? Jesus' authority, God's authority. And so that's the idea. Um, so praying in Jesus' name has that aspect. Our second point on the slide, should we pray to Jesus and or his Holy, and, and or the Holy Spirit? Okay, I'll just, quick thought on this. Most of the verses in the Bible address prayer to God the Father. You do have a couple examples that, um, where the prayer is directed directly to Jesus. Stephen, for example, at his death said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay. Or in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, and also Revelation 22:20, 20, they were prayers for Jesus to come back. Even so, come Lord Jesus, for example, in Revelation 22:20. 20. So you have prayers directed toward Jesus. Now that would make a lot of sense, because he's the mediator. That's what you would do with a, a high priest. You'd go to the high priest, and the high priest would take those to the Lord. And so he's our mediator. We could pray directly to Jesus and He's the, the mediator. Um, Grudem points out there are no prayers recorded in Scripture that are directly addressed to the Holy Spirit. But there's also nothing to indicate that this would be forbidden. Now, and I kind of think about, I mean, when you think about prayer, prayer is communication. It's talking to God. Well, what would be wrong with talking to the Holy Spirit, Jesus, or God the Father? But generally speaking, the model is generally prayers are directed uh, towards God the Father, Okay, and then another question, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer? And I think a primary answer to this is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Well, if he's making intercession for us, that's almost, almost himself acting at times as a mediator, take those and go maybe, you know, making, making at least intercession on our behalf or praying on our behalf. Grudem says this, interpreters differ on whether the size, he, he puts in quotes, size too deep for words, those groanings that cannot be uttered. Are they the size of the Holy Spirit himself um, that he makes or are they the size and groans that we're making in prayer? And he says interpreters differ on that. Uh, his view, which, which I tended to lean towards over the years myself, um, it seems more likely that the sighs or the groans here are our groans. So when we just groaning in prayer, I mean, I've had times where I prayed, Lord, I don't know what to pray on this one. Like, can you figure it out? Say, take this Holy Spirit to the God the Father and pray for this because I'm not sure I don't know what should happen with this I know it needs prayer and hope that the and trust that the Holy Spirit will take those groans and take it to the Lord um, God the Father alright um, so our next slide then is now we kind of need a rapid fire I got about six minutes to cover I think about 13 points <laughs> okay Effective prayer, important considerations. So that we could have lots of studies in all these things, so we're just going to rapid fire them. Okay. So now the, the, the title says effective prayer. Prayer that actually 
is effective. Prayer that effects and something positive. Okay, not worthless prayer. You could, you know, worthless prayer, ineffective prayer, prayer that doesn't do anything, doesn't get outside the building, doesn't go past the walls. That kind of prayer, you know, there's no qualifications for that. Um, it'd be like playing a sport. You know, maybe I'm going to be a baseball pitcher. So how can I effectively throw that ball? Not just any way I want. You know, like, for example, I can't put the ball in my armpit and try to pitch that way. You know, that'd be an ineffective way. There's only certain ways to be effective. I don't have the body uh, to uh, do it, so there's probably no way for me to be an effective picture. Um, but so are prayers actually going to work? The Bible indicates in 1 John 5, 14 that we already read, if we ask anything according to his will, God is not going to do things that are against himself. When we pray for things that are outside the will of God, we're coming to God maybe carnally in the power of our flesh. We're not coming to him in the power of his spirit. We're not connected to him by principles of the word of God um, and his character. Um, now I'd say sometimes we're not sure what his will is. and Sometimes we come to him and pray, and I don't know what you should do on this, God, and what you, but I, I want your will to be done. Okay, next one, praying with faith. We've talked about that quite a bit. But Mark 11, verse 24, Hebrews 11, 1, James 1, 6, I have things to say on that we've already commented on them. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Um, James 1, 6, um, ask in faith without doubting or wavering. Okay? And so prayer is not wishful thinking. Um, it comes from that trust in God. And Hebrews 11.1 1 talks a little bit about that trust. But it's that believing dependence. It's not a hope so or wishful thinking. Okay, Our next one, uh, obedience. Okay. If we're living in disobedience, there's not a relationship there. So I go back to that big idea. It's our relationship. We have a relationship with God where, oh yeah, you're the God of the universe. I honor you. I praise you. I sin against you. Oh, I don't have to give up that sin, do I? I've I don't have to obey you there. Can I, can I disobey you here, here, and here, but honor you in prayer? Uh, that's a big problem. Uh, obedience, First uh, John three twenty two. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to his side. So God does not have to answer the prayer of every Christian. Sometimes he does answer the prayer of a disobedient Christian. He doesn't have to. Uh, sometimes people look at a verse in the Bible well, whatsoever you ask, you shall receive. I asked. God didn't give it to me. God's a liar. No, God's not a liar. That's out of his character. There's something else going on. Sometimes I think uh, obedience is the problem. Okay, confessing sins. Um, the Bible says if we don't confess our sins, it doesn't have to hear us. Forgiving others. Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought or anything against any person, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And so, again, it's tied to that when you stand praying, forgive. Sometimes uh, that's the problem. Okay, our next slide with the first point there. Praying with a humble attitude. And the Bible speaks about humbling ourselves. 
as we already read one verse, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked way. That verse there wraps up several of the thoughts we've already had here. Humble yourselves. Okay? Seek God, trust, okay? turn from your wicked way, live in obedience, confess sins. Um, our next one, continuing in prayer over time. Okay? Sometimes God wants us to be persistent in prayer. There's one of the parables that teaches that. Um, the, the persistent a widow who was being tormented by someone and wanted that judge avenge me. Okay? I know I'm a nobody. Do it anyways. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna pester you until you get it done. Uh, so God wants us to continue in prayer over time. There's a number of verses in the Bible that we don't have time to look in right now that speak to repeated prayer, where, where the same thing was prayed for multiple times and recorded in Scripture. So continuing in prayer over time is an aspect of effective prayer. That doesn't mean every prayer is going to have to have that happen before it's effective, but sometimes effective prayers are that way. Um, praying earnestly um, where we care and we go to the Lord and our relationship with him is such that we care and we want and we desire and I trust you God and I'm really after this in prayer. Uh, waiting on the Lord, that goes back to the trust idea. Um, waiting on him, uh, patient waiting in his timing. Sometimes it involves praying in private. So as we know, you go into your closets and pray there. It's not about show. Uh, but other times on our next slide, the first point, sometimes it's praying with others. Two or three gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. Sometimes it may involve fasting and just setting things aside. I'm so earnest about this that I, I set aside other things and I fast over this. Sometimes effective prayer might even involve unanswered prayer. I mean, just by the nature of God himself, we're praying according to his will. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Or it could also be a no answer. And so prayer can involve those as we seek the Lord's will and seek his best. And a closing thought is that um, the Bible says that praise and thanksgiving uh, to God are essential elements in prayer such as the verse in Philippians that says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. All right, well, we're going to close it right there as we're out of time. And again, I think it's like a little barometer. It's a little thermometer to kind of check and see what's going on internally. And so if our prayer life is weak, there's likely that there's one of these areas that is the weakness there. And it really comes back to our relationship with God. Um, what, what, if there's anything faulty there, um, then that can cause our prayer life to be ineffective. Now, I think um, if our relationship with God is healthy, it doesn't mean that everything's perfect, So, because we're just humans. So I think we do some wavering around, but we need to stick with it, because prayer is a way for our faith to be built up higher. And I would say, um, in my own Christian walk, um, over my adult life in particular, um, that this is, if I point back to an area where I felt like I have the most obvious growth and feel the most encouraged about, and that's trusting God more, and and, and often it's been through answered prayer. And, and uh, for me, personally, um, it's been connected a lot with my role in the school and seeing him answer prayer year in and year out, faithfully doing it. Um, through uh, the ministry here, um, through 
through uh, tougher times and uh, times that aren't as tough, uh, good times. I've seen that. 